Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church online service. We are so happy to have you with us. Please be sure to follow NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to all our past messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. How many of you could identify with that story? You were that person, a parent, somebody, family member praying for them. That was definitely my story. I remember walking by my mother and she was praying for me and spitting at her and cursing at her, saying, don't talk to me about God. And um, the power of prayer. You might be here this morning and you might have a child that started out all right and now has gone all wrong and you don't know what to do with that. I want you to know God is the God of the prodigal. And if I were to sum up for you what I want to tell you today, do me a favor, if you have one of those pieces of paper, if you don't, grab one before you leave because you would have to probably purchase about $1,000 worth of books and time in a classroom to get what is on that paper. And I'm not lying. I'm not undervaluing that or trying to say, this is me. In fact, a lot of what's on there is not me. It's from top shelf scholarship. But I want to talk with you today about the prodigal son. And I also am committed as a pastor that you know God for yourself, that you understand his word for himself. Last week, we were talking about Jesus calming the storm. And we said, when it comes to God's word, we can't take the in order to really understand what God's word is speaking to us, we need to go and sit in the living room of the time that it was written, understand what it meant to them, find that principle, and then take that principle with us and then say, now what does that mean for me and what do I need to do to apply that truth to my, to my life? Um, and so, so many times in my uh, heart and life, I've asked myself, what, God, what is my purpose? What have you called me to do? What have you called me to be? If someone were to say, like, what do you think you're calling as Pastor Paul? It, it would definitely be in Ezra 7, 14, where it says that Ezra devoted himself to the preaching and teaching of God's word and to its observance in all of Israel. In other words, God's called me through the teaching and preaching of his word to make disciples. The Great Commission is not about making decisions. It's about making disciples. You can vote for Jesus. You can say a sinner's prayer and then die. A sinner's life never changed if we don't know how to put God's principles and God's truth at work in our life. But even after a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and a doctoral degree, and 30 years of ministry experience, every once in a while, somebody says something that challenges you and and stirs you to change. How many, how many of you, well, I don't want to say it like, how many of you and how many of you? And then we say that every week, but, but I become a how many of you pastor or lift your hand pastor or repeat after me pastor. You know, there are all kinds that are out there. But uh, Patty Murphy, who's been a part of this church for a long time, actually challenged me in a great way. She came up to me last week and she's like, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, and there was an altar call for people to give their life to Jesus. And she asked, pastor, why I, I really, really listened to you. And she said it like this. She said, when I listen to you, I feel like I'm listening to a Bible college professor. I got a confession. I actually have been one for 15 years. So that always comes through. But she had said, you know, why don't we have a call to salvation every Sunday? And, and there, there is room for that. The way that God does that is, is through all of us. If, if it's just, if the only way that people can get saved, first of all, is if you bring them, then 
like we're in a lot of trouble because when was the last time you brought somebody to church, right? But like on top of that, there is place for us, even for the pastor where the Bible says that there are some that are evangelists, but he says, do the work of an evangelist. And this week is one of those weeks where I feel like this is a call in both directions. I love what Mary Evelyn was saying about look at your life of what it could have been had you not had Jesus. And that there's a keeping power to that. But also, whether you're here or you're listening, what your life could be if, you, if you're not really truly in his family. So if you have a pen, if you've got a phone, I want you to write this down because this is the heart. I'm going to give you in one long sentence what I feel like in my heart God wants us to understand here today through the prodigal son and what I'm going to read to you. It's this. It's not on the notes. It took me two weeks of trying to distill this language down, and I just still don't feel like I had it. But this is, this is as close as I can get. That God is broken over his fractured family. And when, I mean, picture when somebody's broken that they're trying to talk, but they can't because their weeping interrupts their ability to even speak. God is broken over his fractured family, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to right our wrongs if we're willing to do it. Listen to that one more time. God is broken over his fractured family, and he will do whatever it takes to right our wrong if we're willing to do it, to return to him, to do it with him, to partner with him. With that, let me pray. Father, I pray that you would speak through your word. May we learn And may we yearn for more of you in our life. And when today is done, may we walk away saying that God spoke into my life through his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's a very familiar, the prodigal son is a very, very familiar story. It's right up there with David and Goliath. It's right up there with Psalm 23. It's right up there with memorizing Psalm 119. I'm just kidding. This this past week, one of the people in Pastor Dylan's class memorized Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm in the entire Bible. It's a pretty incredible goal there. But this is a parable, and there are a few things I I want us to understand about parables because it's not an American story. The American story ends like this, and they lived happily. That's the American story, and you want to just punch Hollywood and Disney in the face for that one, because it's like, it just doesn't always end like that. It, it, it takes a turn. It, it has its highs and its lows, but we're obsessed with the fairy tale, but the parable is a Jewish story, and it means literally to throw one thing alongside the other for comparison. And what's interesting about parables, you only find them in two places in the entire world and history. They only were naturally found on the lips of Jesus in the Gospels and in the Jewish writing in Jesus' day. This shouldn't surprise us because Jesus Jesus was a Jew. And really, parables are stories. They're, They're purely Jewish. And what they're trying to do is to reach your heart with a point through your imagination, And so they tell a story instead of telling you a law so that your heart becomes committed and connected to it. And then all of a sudden it takes a turn and makes you to look at yourself and say, where do I need to change? Now, this is totally different from any other stories like the fairy tale that we have in the United States or even allegory or um, 
um, fables, like Aesop's fables. They're totally, totally different. These are usually like an arrow. They're one story with a lot, there might be different pieces to it, but it's all headed to one point. And the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, is, is that God is broken over his fractured family. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to make what is wrong in our life right if we're willing to work with him and return to him and make that happen. And so the Jews have some funny ones, and then they have some serious ones. I love this one. There was a man with two mistresses. First of all, that's too many right there, right? But his two mistresses, one of them was young and one of them was old. And every time he went to the old mistress, she would pluck out the black hairs because she didn't like the fact that she was grayer. And then whenever she was with the, he was with the young mistress, she would pluck out the gray hairs because she wanted him to look younger and the story, the story ends by simply saying, and thus he was bald. <laughs> and if you think about that, now what they do is, is they serve you truth and you apply your mind like, oh, actually, this isn't a good thing uh, for either of those, right? There's another one that really helps us understand. Do you know some of the most beautiful people that I know have some of the most ugly character inside? And some of the most ugliest people I know have some of the most beautiful character inside. You can't judge a book by its cover. We're, we're, we're judged by the content of our character. And so there's a parable that said there once was an exceedingly ugly man. And he was walking through the, the neighborhood and a great and famous rabbi saw him and he said, "Ugh!" He goes, you are so ugly. He said, is everybody from your village as ugly as you? And the exceedingly ugly man bowed his head and said, oh, great rabbi, oh, great one, I cannot answer that for you. You will have to go to my maker and ask him that question. And the rabbi knelt before him and said, forgive me, forgive me. See how those stories kind of like hook us in and almost bring truth around through the back door. David, sometimes God can use story to soften our heart because we're so hard that we can't take a head-on truth. You know, you have people all the time saying, saying to you, you know, just tell it, I'm so glad, you just tell it like it is when I need to hear it. Really? Seriously? Because there have been times in my life where somebody has told it to me, like I said, and I really wasn't ready to hear it or wanting to hear it. I've had other friends who have said that to me, and I've said it to them and, and said, I hope you meant that because here it comes, and then boom, it fractures the friendship, it fractures the relationship. Sometimes we can't really take things head-on, and so God created this venue, and Jesus used this venue of a parable to come in through the back door to catch and recapture our attention and soften our hearts. And so in chapter 15 of Luke, I'm going to ask you to turn there. We come to this very famous section of Scripture, and, and what's, what's funny is, is that he actually is telling three stories for the same point. Now, there are a couple of, there are tons of parables in the Gospels. There are a few of them that we call twin parables, where there's, there's one that is just like the other one, it just looks a little different. You can have identical twins, and you can have uh, um, paternal or maternal twins, where they're born, I don't know what the word is there for it, and I hope I didn't say something really embarrassing or funny or fun, but like... Two kids can come out looking almost identical, but they're still a little different. I had twin nieces, and one 
had a part, a calic in her hair, and I could, all, I could tell them apart. If you have twins in your life, you know, like, once you really get to around them a lot, you can tell the difference between the two of them. And, and so this right here is what the only triplet parable. And it's Jesus talking about a lost sheep. Then he goes on to a lost coin. And then the crescendo or the centerpiece of the masterpiece of all of this is a lost son. So the sheep is pretty easy if you're living in Jesus's world, but the coin is a little bit funky and funny. Now, I've heard different variants of this. I heard that when a woman in the ancient world was getting married, she would receive her dowry. It would be woven into a headset and it would have all the coins and a dowry basically was given to the woman so that if the husband died or if he left her, she would be taken care of because in those, those days it was, it was necessary. And so she's, the sheep gets lost. That's a pretty straightforward one. And the shepherd goes and finds it. But the, the coin one is a little bit different. And she loses her coin and she's looking for it. She's about to get married. This is her dowry. It's really important. And so she searches high and low until she finds that, uh, that coin, which is actually, I've got one of them actually right here. And she finds it and she rejoices. The shepherd finds the sheep and rejoices. But then Jesus now goes into what he's trying to warm them up to and it's the prodigal son. They can totally sympathize with a lost sheep. They could totally identify with a lost coin, whether they have a daughter or a son and marriage was center. But now he goes in and he says this. He says, there was a man who had two sons, verse 12. And the younger of them said to the father, father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and he squandered his property, his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired, out, uh, hired himself out as one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And when he was longing to be fed, with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything, but he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? That's the number one staple in the ancient world. Give us this day our daily what? So you're not eating meat every day, you're eating bread. But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against you and heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know what's interesting about this story? The son rehearsed his repentance speech and he never got the words out of his mouth. That's how willing the father was to make his wrongs right and work with him. Just the fact that he saw him, he ran to him, he knew what that meant. And he rose and still a long way off his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his, his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate party time. 
Yeah, totally. I saw a t-shirt recently that said, friends don't let friends clap on one and three. <laughs> There's a big party going on. I mean, it was just boom, crap. I mean, the, they had the sound system out. They brought in the DJ. You know, I mean, like, this is insane party mode. And it says, now his older son was in the field. This party kicked off without even getting that son. That's how fast they set things in motion. And he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked, what, is, what, is this, what does this mean? What, is it, what are these things, uh, what are these things meant? That's a terrible translation. I first found the first flaw in the ESV version. What these things meant. All right, so he asked what these things meant. Never mind, it was your pastor. It wasn't the ESV. All right. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. You know what's so crazy about this? The son who ran out of the house is now in. And the one who was in the house all along is now out. He refused to go in and the father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command and yet you have never given me a goat. Notice the father killed a fatted calf and the son says, you haven't even given me a goat. I'm going to confess to something. I've eaten goat. I've never eaten dog, but I've eaten goat and it's a common meal in other parts of the country, but it ain't like lamb, baby. But his son is insulting his father, saying, you haven't even given me a goat. And you create this, this festival for this, this what? What? Go ahead, say it. Father's like, go ahead, say it. And listen to him. He says, you haven't even given me a goat. Look, these many years I've, I've served you and I've never disobeyed you. You've never given me a goat. Sorry, I got stuck there. That I might celebrate with my friends. See, he wants to celebrate with his friends. The father is celebrating with the son. But when this son of yours came, he's not even calling him his brother, this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. Now he clarifies just how bad the son was. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this is your brother, this, uh, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Famous, famous story. Famous. And there are a few things in here to really get the grasp of what is going on. It's not What's going on here is not what's go going on in our world. It's going on in their world. There's some things that are just uniquely different. For instance, the, the inheritance. There's wording there that in English just doesn't come through and ideas and ideals that just don't come through. First of all, you ever hear someone say, mm, Lord, I want a double portion, right? 
I don't want it. You know what double portion meant? It meant you were the oldest child, and the reason you were given double portion is because you were never allowed to go anywhere. You were never allowed to leave anywhere. Your job now was to take over as the patriarch of the clan. Their problems are your problems, and the reason you were given extra is because chances are you're going to have to use what you were given extra as well as what you were given to make sure that the clan survived. It's just such a perverse, twisted gospel that just sits around and says, God's going to just, listen, I believe in prosperity and blessing and God giving and doing those things, but there is a selfish gospel that stretches from here around the world that takes that whole double portion, doesn't even understand that in their world, the eldest son, who was the one that stayed home there, got the double portion simply because he had responsibility that that other child or all of those other childs didn't even have. I meant more responsibility. Not only that, but the, the whole idea here is that we're talking about property. So what would happen is, is that in the, in the Israelite culture, you would be of a tribe and you would get land from that area and your job was to make sure that you, you made money off of cultivating land and that was your income, that was your family business. You didn't want to get rid of land. You didn't want to sell off land. You only did that in desperate, desperate times and sometimes it was just a temporary loan to somebody else who had the means to farm it and then you, you would, it would revert back to you. And so the, the idea that you just take this property. First of all, it says that the son woke up and he gathered his things together. He said, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And then we get this picture that the father comes with this big pile of money and goes ching and leaves it with him and takes off. That's not what happened. The father, he was saying to his father, he says, Father, give me the parts that are going to be mine and give me oversight while you're still alive. This was allowed in Jewish culture. You could give your children that this house and the summer house and, the, and this field and that field, but what you could not do, what you should not do, and what you never did was as a father sell off that land and certainly never as a son sell off that property. Are you tracking me? Okay, so... Here, we picture dad walks in with a check and just says, here you go. No, his son tricked his father. Do you see the treachery? He tricked his father into signing over and giving over the property. And then behind his father's back where it says he gathered his things, what that's really saying in the original language and in the original culture is that behind his father's back, he turned around, sold off all of that property, turned it into cash, and went to the city. And what did he do there? It says that he scattered his possessions. He th literally, it's that he threw, his, he threw the money to the wind, living in, in, in careless living. And obviously his brother shows us that it was going to prostitution and, and all kinds of stuff. And he spends through his money. You know, some of us sit back and we say, oh, that I would, that I would just accidentally buy a lottery ticket one day and win the lottery. Oh, it ruined your life. Do you know what? If you give some people a million dollars, it'll be gone in half a year. You give other people a million dollars, and five years from now, they'll have $10 million. It's about stewardship. The father, the, the treachery of this son, that he, that he asks and talks his father into giving it to him, the real sting came when the father realized that his son was not only gone, but that he sold off all the property. He wasn't expecting that hit, which made it, the betrayal even greater. It made it even greater. 
He takes off, he sells it, and now he hits hard times. And the Bible, after, after him squandering it, he seeks employment. This is the funny thing. You know what? The, the idea to seek employment, to find a job, means that you associate with someone. That's kind of almost like an idiom or a metaphor. See, what I didn't read to you is, is the few verses before Jesus told you about the lost son, the lost coin, and the lost sheep. The reason he started these stories is because the Pharisees were sitting around saying, look at him. He associates himself with tax collectors and sinners. They weren't happy with the company that he keeps. And now he tells the story about a prodigal son. And every single one of those Pharisees are like, what a wretch. What? He took the property. All right, he shouldn't have asked. That was inappropriate. What? He sold it off. Are you kidding me? What? He threw himself into reckless living and threw away his father's money like that? But now he goes a step further and he says, yeah. And when the money was gone, he had nobody to associate with except people who were herding pigs, which to a Jew would be like, I think that's unclean. He's blowing their mind. Pretty much every, now I don't know if you've ever grown up in a legalistic church or whatever, but have you ever seen or have you ever been guilty of that moment where you're looking down on somebody else because of the things they do, the way they live, where they're at? There's part of me, I, by the way, every single one of the staff, but I, it, this is our church, right? Every once in a while, I'll see somebody walking out and they'll see a piece of garbage and they'll pick it up and I'll be like, that's, that's how I know it's their church. I know this is your church when you see a piece of garbage and you pick it up, right? But I'm constantly picking up these nips and I'm like, first of all, that's a bad investment, right? Like they, they just cost so much, but they're all over the place and they're just picking it up or I'll walk in sometimes and I'll see a cigarette and when I pick that up, I'll be like, Thank you, God, that people are trying to find their way back to you that aren't completely there yet. The last thing we want is a church building filled with a bunch of people that have everything together, right? Why? Because God's broken over his broken family, and he's willing to make every wrong in our life right and do whatever it takes to do that if we're willing to make that happen. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, I feel like a... I feel like I don't belong here. No, you absolutely do because you're part of God's family. He loves you. He's your father. You're his child. And it doesn't matter how far you are from him. It doesn't matter how far you feel from him. It doesn't matter how far you feel you've sinned from him. He is willing to do whatever it takes to make your wrongs right. The Bible says the son comes to his senses. He was literally starting to eat pig slop, which those pea pods were the kind of like lowest of lowest of, of you can eat, you know, dandelions, you know, you can eat the leaves to dandelions, some, some, you throw those in salad, but I'm not. <laughs> but if you got desperate, you could live off of that. You could live off of a garden. And the kid is so, there's a famine now, now difficult times hit and he doesn't know what to do. And Literally, it says that he came to his senses. He, he literally, he came to himself is how it's written. If you were to move that idiom into the Hebrew writings of the sages and into the Hebrew language, the idiom literally would be he came home. Haven't you ever found that home? And I have to, 
I don't want to be inclusive in this language because some of you have never had a home. Some of you have never had a healthy family dynamic. But imagine that thing that you long for all your life. Imagine if you had that. Coming home to something like that. It's been a longing in everybody's heart for those that have had it and those that haven't to come home. To just say, I just, just need to come home. Home is that place where everybody knows me best. And sometimes I don't like that because they know my flaws. They know my angles. They know my strengths. They know my weaknesses. They know me. But really, home is that place where you become real. And the son said, I got to be real with myself. I got to be real with this situation. I've got to be real with my sin. I've got to get right with God, with my father. I know my father's broken over our fractured family that I shattered. But I also think that my father would let me be a slave. I mean, the slaves eat better than this. The kid was in such a difficult situation, he would rather have been a slave in his father's house than a servant in the place where he was. And so he goes home. What does the Bible say about the father? This is, this is beautiful. There's a great book that was written by Tim Keller called Prodigal God. Here, the Bible says that he saw him at a distance and he was filled with compassion. How many of you, it's been, hey, I have become one of those, how, how many of you, pastors? <laughs> it happened, it happened. I'm catching myself though. Let me reword this. There are times in my life, and especially going through midlife crisis, which is very real, which is a topic we need to talk about soon in our church, but um, I was going through that season. And I was so busy, and I'd invested so much in everybody else's life, and I said to myself, I don't think there's anybody that gives a rip about me. that somebody would look at me and be moved with compassion and be like, how many of you have just been in the middle of a crowd and still felt alone and you just wanted to shout? Not with this father. He sees him from a distance and it says he's moved with compassion and he goes from being moved with compassion to running towards his son and embracing him. That literally means he fell on his neck. You could just picture he's weeping and he's kissing his neck. Why? Because God is broken over his fractured family, but he will do anything if you're willing to make your wrongs right with him. He will do whatever it takes. And so he takes the initiative back. He had to, you know, what is crazy about this story is that the sheep ran away from the shepherd. The coin was indifferent. It doesn't leave anything, nor does it come back to it. But the father had to wait for the son to come to a place of repentance. And that's the one limitation with God, is that God can only go as far as you go. He can only take steps when you're willing to take them. He can only decide to move in your life when you give him permission to, because he won't force his will on you. He wants to be the best choice of your life, and he needs you to see that for yourself. And sometimes he's willing to let your life get so bad you're eating with pigs and you've wasted everything and you're down and out and come to your senses and you say, it's time to come home. And I'd say this to anyone listening online or in this place, it is time for you to come home. It's time for you to come back to Jesus. It's time for you to, to help your father help you. He turns to his servants and he says, quick, 
bring, bring a robe. Bring, bring a ring. Bring some shoes. This kid was in such bad shape, he didn't have any shoes. This church on Serve Our City Days have been going downtown because New Balance has donated shoes, and we go down and we have mothers and their sons, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, neighbors and friends that get together, eat some pizza, hop on a bus that we just fixed and put a protective plate over the catalytic converter so that person can't steal anymore, and, and go down there and we are putting shoes on the feet of people who don't have them or are about to lose the very ones that were on their feet. And this son was in such bad disarray. The father says, get him some shoes. Throws the shoes right on his feet. That's biblical what we're doing. But then he says, get him a robe. You know what's funny is this, if you read, this all harkens back to the story of Joseph. And if you read in the story of Joseph, it says that he had a multicolored robe. That's actually, can I just get geeky for a second? There are a couple of you that follow this, a couple of you that might not. But in the Latin Vulgate translation, when it went from Hebrew into Latin or Greek into Latin, when uh, that was happening with Jerome, they, the, the idea, it, it sounded like a multi-ornamented colored coat. It's all a wrong translation. Uh, the coat Teneth, it's actually, according to Doug Stewart, he says that it is actually a long sleeve robe, and it was the thing that identified you as the patriarch of the family, the firstborn. And guess who gets the coat in the story of Jacob? The younger son. In the story of Joseph, who is Joseph in the story? He's the younger son. Now he's saying, get him a robe. I don't know if it was that he was putting the very patriarchal robe or he was just giving the kids some, some Gucci. I don't know what in the world it is. I don't even know if guys wear Gucci. That's, you know, uh, Wrangler. That's about as far as I go with my shopping. But, but they throw this probably ornamented robe if it's, if it's the, the patriarchal robe. And then he says, put a ring on his finger. And you're like, what's the big deal? I got toe rings. I got nose rings. I got eyebrow rings. Like, you can get rings any, anywhere you want. Well, in the ancient world, if you were part of an, a, a royal family or part of a wealthy family, and you were doing business or you were doing politics, you would get a ring, and inserted into that ring would be a stone chiseled, or like or a, a gem chiseled with a certain pattern in it. And you would say, for instance, your family was in the the olive oil business. You would measure out the olive oil, you would sell it, and then you would put your seal, your stamp on that, on that with like rope and mud, and you'd put that on there, and it was saying, this is 100% American Dental Association, according to the metric units of olive oil in the Middle East and Israel, our family seals upon it, we approve this message. If you, were, if you were sending a message to royalty or to governors, you would seal the letter so that nobody would have read it, and it would put this stamp in mud or in clay over that, send it off as proof that it was from you. And this is actually an actual seal, big deal, right? Like, but it's actually pretty cool. But 
that actually was on somebody's ring in the Middle East. And that's the ring the father's putting on him. He says, get him a ring, get him a robe, get him some shoes. This isn't a slave. This isn't a Gentile. This isn't somebody that's lost. This isn't somebody that's dead. It's my son. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. He's found. Get the fatted cap. We're going to party. Okay. They, they just blow the roof off. And this is where it blows my mind for me. I didn't have one of those stories that I grew up in the church. I grew up around church and grew up in church. And around gave me a huge advantage over not at all. No doubt about that. But... What do, you, what do you do when you, you know, you're in it your whole life? I, I remember a, a couple of people telling me, like, I just don't remember that moment. I just always remember being a Christian. And, and it's genuine. It's that, you know, they simmered into the faith, but they received God's truth each step of the way with full, uh, full buy-in, and it, they love him. But here there's, there's this older son, and it says he, he's angry. He refuses to go inside. See, God's not happy with his fractured family, and no sooner does he see his son who was totally shattered and broken, and the father, even though he was home and had what he needed, it still was broken for him. And any of you that have a wayward child get that. But now, no sooner does that problem seem to start to change, and the one that's at home the whole time starts to have a problem. And he, said, he, he, he calls out his brother's sin in a way that the story doesn't even. He wasted your money on prostitute. That son of yours, that's what you always do when you're married, right? And your kid starts acting bad. You say to your spouse, yours, your kid is acting up, right? Your daughter, your son is acting this way. He says, I never even, he's complaining. I never even, I can't believe. How could you treat, he's, he's angry that he's treating his brother like he's a celebrity. But how many times do people come into the church and they're completely down and broken and we look down on them and shatter them? Don't you understand? God is broken over his fractured family. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to make our wrongs right if we come to him willing to do that. But what, what we don't want to do is what the oldest brother did. He said, I've been here all along. I have faithfully served you. I have never gone off and cashed in my inheritance and wasted it on prostitutes. He's looking down on his brother because he's looking up on himself. And that's the problem with the church today and probably why this building and so many other buildings struggle to fill itself is because we're so busy going around and taking people's temperature, right? I wonder, I wonder, are they lukewarm? Are they hot? Are they cold? Or we're kind of asking ourselves, well, do they measure up to what God has the whole time while we're we're taking their measurements. God's taking our temperature and saying, what's wrong with you? Why are you looking down at everybody else? Don't you understand? I'm heartbroken over my fractured family, and I'll do whatever it takes to make the wrongs right. 
You should be happy about this. That should be your priority too. That should, you shouldn't be happy that you're just going to church. You should be saying, oh God, would you please bring my son and my daughter, my husband, my wife, my cousin, my friend. Please. I know it's good that I'm here and I know that home is all right, but I'm broken over God's fractured family. And God's willing to do whatever it takes to make our wrongs right. And we should too. It says this, and as I wind this down, it said that the son said to him, you know, you've never given me a fatted calf. You've never done this. And the father looks at him, and I'm going to ask actually uh, Boaz to come up here, and just you can just start playing right away. But the father looks at his son. Now, this is the beautiful part of the story, because I've been both of those sons, believe it or not. I've looked down on people that I should have been reaching out to. And I was the one that came in a total mess. And God treated me like a celebrity. But his father turns to him, he looks at him, and he says to him this, listen to this. He said to him this, son, you've always been with me. And all that I have is yours. That's a very significant statement. You see, because you and I, we're, not, we're reading the Gospels, but we're not reading the literature of Jesus' day. One of the rabbis was contemporary with, and actually he predates Jesus. He wrote this, there are four sorts of people. One who says, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. He goes, that's an average person. You take care of you, you made your bed, sleep in it. I got me, what's, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, and we'll just keep things separate. That's just an average guy. Then there's another type that says, what's yours and what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine we'll share in every situation and and he says this is a naive person it's one thing we learn about people is is they're never there when you need them and they always are there sincerely usually when you don't god's the only one that's on time there's another one that says what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine that's an evil wicked person but this is where that phrase in the Gospels comes from. The third person says it like this. What's mine is yours, and what's yours is yours. All that I have is yours. This is truly a pious person. This is the person that paid for that ramp. This is the person and the people that put shoes on the feet on serve our city. This is the kind of person that comes out and says, I'm going to give to the missionaries of the, the 75 plus pictures back on the wall faithfully every week, every month, and every year to empower the gospel. This is the person that says, God, 90 is better than 100%. Here is a tenth of all that I have. It, all that I have is because you gave it to me. Here's just a tenth. You're not asking for all, but God, you ever need somebody to help somebody in need anytime, anywhere, any place? I owe you. No boundaries. See, God is a no boundaries God. And that's the truth of the story of the parable of the prodigal son. It's that God is broken up over his fractured family. He's broken over the son that takes off, stabs him in the back, betrays him to wake up the next day to find that he sold off that inheritance of land that was passed through his family for centuries. 
He's heartbroken over the son who when his brother comes back, all he can do is praise himself on how great he is and how bad his brother is. Instead of seeing the whole point was is that now's the time for us to do whatever it takes to make his wrongs right. And that's what I think God wants to do here this morning for us. If you'd stand with me. I don't know what the band had planned and you're welcome to come up here, but that's not a request. He's fine. But I want you to hear a story from someone that was working in Mexico talking about a young girl. Her name was Maria. Maria grew up with her mom. She would always pray every night. They would save money. She grew up in a good Christian home till finally one day, Maria, she kept looking at the city the lure of it and decided, you know what? I'm going to go into the world and find out for myself. She stole the money that they saved. She ran off into the city. The mother took what was left in that sack, which wasn't much. And she went to one of the photo booths and she stood there and took picture after picture after picture. And then she bought a bus ticket and drove to Mexico City. And on Every single place, a girl who was lost and down and out, she posted that picture in bathrooms and bars and crack houses, anywhere she could go. Once she put up the last picture, she hopped on the bus and came home. And so as she was, as she was doing this, a young, that young girl, the words of love from her boyfriend turns into fists of rage. She's beaten within an inch of her life. She runs out. She finds herself in some bathroom, filthy in the middle of nowhere. She's looking in the mirror. She's all black and blue and bloodied, and she starts to weep. And there up in the top corner is a picture of her mother. She grabs the picture, and she flips it over, and she reads this on the back. Dear Maria, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, please come home. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've become. When the son came to his senses, it says he was coming home. Your father isn't broken over what you've done. He's broken over your fractured relationship with him. And right here, right now, is that time to make that right. If you'd bow your heads and pray with me. For every single one of you that are here, and if we just respect privacy, I, I want to do it this way, but you're here and you're saying, I have a fractured relationship with Jesus. I know that my life and my lifestyle has broken his heart. And although I might talk about him or whatever, maybe you're online listening, maybe you're here, you're saying, I'm tired. And if God can make my wrongs right, I want, to, I want to mend the brokenness of this relationship. If that's you, with our eyes closed, if you just raise your hand and put it down real quick. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I want to pray that prayer. I want you to pray this prayer with me as a group for the people that raised their hands. Just a simple invitation. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for breaking our family. I know your heart is broken, but you say you can forgive my sin 
and you can change my life. I invite you to do that. Now, for those of you that maybe are the prodigal that stayed home, I want you to think about something. Are you running around taking people's measurements and temperature? Are you giving yourself a grade based off of other people? The Apostle Paul, he was really wise. He said this, he said, do not compare yourself against others for this is not wise. Then you live your life in competition with the world around you. No, judge yourself against yourself. That's wise. But some of us, we need to be more welcoming with the broken. We need to be able to hug that person that smells like urine. We need to be able to go up to that person who's nothing but a nightmare to every single one of us at work when we see that moment that you can catch a tear out of the corner of their eye and, and leverage that moment. We need to stop looking down on people and start looking up to Jesus and say, what's, what's your view on this? But Father, I pray for us as a church that we would not be about taking measurements and temperatures, but we would be about joining in the celebration. Because it was this parable that came when you said that the Pharisees looked around and said, look at him, that he greets tax collectors and sinners. That's your family as much as we are, the faithful that are with you as much as the faithless that betray you. And Lord, we give you our lives, we give you our church, and we ask you to be Lord of it all. Father, today I pray that you would just help us to know that all that you have is available to us. So Lord, if there's joy we need, if there's forgiveness we need, if there is, is strength and courage that we need, if there's motivation that we need, whatever it is, all, Father, you said all that I have is yours. You've been with me. All that I have is yours. Right now, I pray that you would begin to pour out all that you have on us this morning, Lord. Pour out, Lord, forgiveness. Pour out, oh God, financial resource. Pour out, oh God, patience and kindness. Pour out motivation. Whatever it is that we need, all that you have is ours. And Father, we say back to you, you have our life and all that we are is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Patty, thank you for that conversation. And uh, go in the grace of God. Jesus loves you. Thank you for being with us today. Be sure to listen to all our messages on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And follow us on ne-cc.org for all information and updates. Thank you. God bless. Have a great day.